Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Hey, open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to continue in our series that we're studying through the Gospel of Mark. And as you turn there, let me say, first of all, thank you for your wonderful gifts and cards for my birthday. You know, when you get 72, it's not just a birthday, it's a birthday month. And so there's still a chance for you to jump on board if you haven't done that. So just kidding. Hey, and wasn't last week, wasn't Andrea's teaching so great? Oh, man. I just love it here at the Father's House. It doesn't matter who gets behind this pulpit. You always get a word that's in season that will help you. Hey, we're spreading the word about Jesus with our t-shirts. You can buy one of those. And if you didn't get one of our Jesus bands, I know we ran out, so we have some more. If you'll go to the resource table, they'll be happy to give you one so that you can have that for yourself. All right? So Matthew chapter 4, verses 35. We'll be there in a minute, but let's pray. Father... I just want to say thank you. I'm so humbled, Lord, for this house full of people that are so sensitive to your voice. Oh, thank you, Lord, for a great worship team. Thank you for the worship team extras that you're sending, other people with gifts. Thank you for all of our volunteers that makes this thing work, Lord. It's not about me. It's about everybody who serves here. It's about you being glorified, and we want to make you famous. So, Lord, as we approach your word, we ask you to... Give us inspiration, knowledge, wisdom. Holy Spirit, I got some things jotted down, but they're just words without your anointing. So Holy Spirit, I desperately am looking today for uh, the anointing to flow, for not only for me to speak, but for us to hear. As Andrea said last week, that the soil of our heart needs to be right to hear. Amen. Well, there's a great movie I really like. It's called Saving Private Ryan. And uh, it's a true story that happened uh, in 1944. It's about the Ryan family. And they have four sons. And uh, all four sons went into the military. And of course, their father had already passed away and died. And three of the boys were tragically killed. And there was only one left of the Ryan family. So the War Department enlists Captain John Miller, played by Tom Hanks, to rescue the surviving son and bring him home. The unit goes, uh, some of the guys get killed. They're fighting battles against the Germans. They finally find Private Ryan, but he refuses to leave until reinforcements arrive to help his division. So they're engaged in a fierce battle, and in that battle, Captain Miller is seriously wounded, and he dies. But right before he dies, he pulls the young Private Ryan to him, and he whispers these words in his ear earn it. Earn it. At the end of the movie, the Ryan Sr., who went back home and lived a life, now revisits the gravesite where the captain is buried. And he falls at the tombstone of the captain, recognizing and realizing all that they had paid for his redemption. And he started sobbing. His wife came and put her hand on his shoulder and he said this to her, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. You see, he lived all of those years with the burden of how could he forget the sacrifice that somebody made on his behalf? 
Throughout the movie, the question just looms over that. Why make an enormous sacrifice for one person? Eight soldiers, eight soldiers, for whatever it would cost them, their life, their death, maimed, whatever, for one man. Was it really worth it? I guess it all matters in how you see the value of that one young man. To his mother, I'm sure it was of value that my son is redeemed. When I think about this passage, I think of the story that we're looking at today and how that Jesus and his disciples risked their life in a storm to rescue a man that was considered invaluable, insignificant, a loser, and that nobody could ever help. So turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and let's read verse 35. Now, you've got to remember that in the, uh, in the, in the, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapter divisions. They were written together. So in our Bible, we have chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, and then we have chapter 5. But really, that's not the way it is. Chapter 4, verses 35 through, leads on into what happened in chapter 5. So you can't put chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 as a standalone. you got to see it as preceding what's going to happen in chapter 5. So let's look at this. On that same day, on what day? On the same day that Andrea talked so great about last week, on the day that he preached that long sermon on the soil. On that same day, when evening had come, he said to his, the men, let's cross over to the other side. Let's do what? Say it with me. Let's cross over to the other side. Let's say it again. Cross over. Now, when the multitude, they took him along, and, and the boat with the little boat, they were also with him. And a great windstorm, underline that, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. It wasn't so much the wind that was coming at the boat, it was, it was the water, the waves. And he, Jesus, was in the stern, really worried. He's asleep on a pillow, Mark says. And they awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care? We are perishing. So he arose. Notice what he does. He rebuked the wind. He rebuked the source of the storm before he spoke peace. Don't forget that. He rebuked the wind, and then he said to the sea, read it with me, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a what? You need to underline that. There was a great windstorm before, but now there's a great calm, a great calm. I wonder what that looks like, what that feels like, what that sounds like. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, how can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Wow. Now, when we read through this passage, I've jotted down some things, some lessons that God spoke to me. But the Lord really told me, he said, I don't want you to give anybody any notes today because Holy Spirit is going to speak to individuals and they're going to find themselves somewhere in this passage. And that's the important thing that they need to write down. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you of what you need from this passage.
This particular story was so important that all three of the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all wrote about this story. So there was something that's so intriguing to them and so valuable into them, they all write it down. Well, when I read over this, the first thing that when I began to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I, the first thing that came to me is obey your mission. Obey your mission. That, that's, that's just a sort of the first thing that came to me of what I wrote down. Obey your mission. We all have a mission to complete. Say a mission to complete. Oh, you, you have a mission to complete, and your mission may be different than mine. He said to them, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. Notice, he doesn't tell them why to go to the other side. He just says, here's what. I want you to go to the other side. Can you obey when you just have the what and not the why? Here's what the Lord says. I, here's what I want you to do. And we say, but why? Or here's somebody says, here's what I'd like for you to do. Why? No, why is close to whiny hiney. Forget that, all right? We want to just respond to the what. What did he say that we were supposed to do? He said to them, what? Let's go to the other side. Doesn't tell them why. He just says, let's go to the other side. When I look at that, I, I wonder, what does the other side mean to you today? What is it specifically that the Lord is saying to you today? I mean, the Holy Spirit just jumped up in your face a minute ago and said, it's time for you to get to the other side. It's time for you to get to the other side. What, what, what is the other side? Maybe it's something as small as a cutting remark that someone made to you this week or posted on social media and you thought they were your friend. And Jesus says, come on, let's get to the other side of that thing. Or maybe it's to get to the other side of something major, like the death of a spouse. Or maybe it's like getting beyond that sickness, that cancer that you're feeling. Or maybe it's just that it's time to get to the other side of the trial that you're in. So the first thing I discover is that when I obey Jesus, when I obey the mission that he has for my life, then the second thing I noticed in this passage, once I obey the Lord and I begin the mission that he wants me to do, I can get ready, and I promise you this, I've been around a long time, just anticipate a storm. When you start obeying the Lord, just get ready, you'll anticipate. See, some people say, well, once I get hooked on to Jesus and I get on my mission and do what I should do and love Jesus, I never have any issues, I never have any problems, I never have any difficulties. If you believe that, I've got some swamp land that I'd like to sell you to build a condo on, all right? It doesn't happen. Throughout the Bible, you'll find when people step out in faith, then the next thing that happens, a storm comes their way. So here they are. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. So they get in the boat. They put the sail up. They go into the other side. But the enemy doesn't want them to go to the other side. The enemy already knows that Jesus is on mission. The enemy already knows he's got a guy in captivity on that side that everybody's given up on. But you see, Jesus specializes in making a visit to those that are impossible, to situations that you think that can never work. He specializes in coming to sickness that everybody's given up on and saying, well, I don't believe I'll ever get healed. You'll have to live with this the rest of your life. The enemy doesn't like that. So here's what the enemy does, like the big bad wolf. Puffs and puffs, and he creates a storm. Because Jesus didn't rebuke the, the wind, the water that was getting in the boat. He rebuked the source of the water. 
See, sometimes we want Jesus to take care of the water, but he's got to get to the source of that water because that's where all the problems and difficulties come. So that tells us it was a satanic storm. It was not a natural storm, but it was a storm of the enemy because he didn't want Jesus to get to the other side because if Jesus gets to the other side, a man that's impossible to deliver is going to be delivered and he's going to be the first missionary that goes to 10 cities and he brings a revival in the area of the Decapolis. So Jesus is on mission and Satan says, no, I don't want to give up any of my kingdom. We sang that song a minute ago, right? We're pushing forward and we're taking back and setting up the kingdom. So a storm comes. The storm came because the guys obeyed Jesus. See, sometimes we think, well, I'm in a storm, so what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Did I disobey Jesus? No. They obeyed Jesus. He said, let's go to the other side. And because they obeyed Jesus, they got caught in a huge, huge, huge windstorm. You might want to write this one down. The more valuable the mission, the greater intensity the storm. The more valuable the mission, the greater intensity the storm. I can tell you how valuable you are and how valuable is your mission when I hear the storms that you've been through. You're going to hear a story in a minute that'll blow you away. So they obeyed Jesus, and then we have to anticipate a storm. The third thing, when I look at this, I say, I'm going to look for Jesus because he'll always show up because I'm valuable and significant. Say that with me. I am valuable and I'm significant. Now say it like you mean it. Some of you just, you didn't say it. Say it. I am valuable and I am significant. Look at your neighbor and say, you are valuable and you are significant. You see, some of you today think that you're insignificant. You're, no, no, you are valuable and you are significant. So let's read the rest of the story. If there's somebody valuable and significant on the other side, he must have a PhD in theology. He must be a great man of influence. He must be a who's who in society because he's a VIP that Jesus is going to get. Let's read the story. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the Bible? I hope you're joining us every morning when we're doing our version Bible study. We have one now. You need to go on uh, sometime today, or you can do it now in between, because I know you can listen to that, because I know some of you listen to What's a Ball Game while I'm preaching, so you can do both, all right? <laughs> or the NASCAR warm-up today. Go on the Father's House uh, webpage, scroll down, and you're going to see a picture of Jesus, and it's called, I'm throwing them off in the back, so we'll see how quick they are able to do this one. It's called The Essential Jesus, and it's a picture of Jesus, and it's going to be for 100 days, right there. I, I, would you give our production team a hand? Man! Let me see what else I can throw them for a loop for now. Uh, you remember that Private Ryan video? Let's run that. No, let's don't. It's going to be 100 days on the essential Jesus. But then under that is going to be another one. It's one that Anita and I have done for almost three years. It's Psalms and Proverbs. We do it perpetually. Whatever program, whatever devotion we're doing, we always end out the day with a Psalm and a Proverb. So sign up for that. It has no ending. We're just going to keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on that getting a Psalm and a Proverb. Because that helps you to get more into what we're studying about Jesus for this year. Chapter 5, verse 1. I call him the tombstone terrorist. That's good, isn't it? I didn't say that in the last service. Write that down, tombstone terrorist. 
Then he came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadareans, a Gentile area. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately, there's Mark's favorite word again, euthos, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He had his dwelling. Would you underline that? He had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him. That's another good thing to underline. Society couldn't help him. He'd been to all the doctors, all the psychologists. He'd been to all the rehabs. He'd been to all the prisons. He'd often been bound with chains and shackles and the chains were pulled apart by him. No one could tame him. Society didn't have an answer. And always, boy, this is tragic here. Look at this. Underline this. Night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. This next verse just, just gets me. In the midst of all of his troubles, in the midst of all of his strongholds, when he saw Jesus from afar, he what? He ran and worshipped him. Worshipped him. Proskeneo is the word worship there. It means to kiss. It's a picture of those of you who are dog lovers. It's a picture of a dog that comes up to his master. His master's been gone all day. And his master sits down the recliner. And the dog comes up and sits at his side. And he just begins licking the hand of the dog. Now you cat lovers, good luck with that. And he cried out with a loud voice. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you that you don't torment me. Look at the, look at the pull and the push there. Something is drawing him to Jesus. But what's on the inside of him is pushing Jesus away. It's just like some of you today. It's not an accident that you're here. And the Spirit of the Lord is drawing you, drawing you, but yet there's something inside of you that's trying to push Jesus away and saying, no, not now. Now's not the time. It would never work for me. It's not my, and, and pushing that away. I, I, I couldn't do it. And that's, that's where you are. Verse eight, Jesus said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, my name is Legion. Would you underline that? He said, my name is Legion. He identifies himself by the disease that he has. He identifies himself by the strongholds of his life. And he begged him earnestly that they would not send him away out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were there feeding and all demons begged, said, Throw, let us go into them. And so they went into the swine, 2,000 of them, and they went down the water and they drowned. Verse 15 and the townspeople, they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed that had the legion. Look at this. Underline this. Sitting, not running around, clothed, not naked, and in his right mind. Sufetreo, a sound mind. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might go with him. Get me away from these people, Jesus. That's what he's saying. However, Jesus didn't permit him. Read it with me, what he said. 
Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, all that Jesus had done and all marveled. It says, tell, tell them what has happened to you that, and that Jesus has had compassion on you. It doesn't say because you have faith. So often Jesus says you're healed and you're delivered because you have faith. But he says, here, I've come all the way across this storm because you're a very important person to me. And I came because I had compassion for you. You see, it says when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. That was the first time this man saw Jesus. But I don't believe it's the first time Jesus saw him. So let me tell you how, how this scenario goes. On the other side of the Sea of Galilee is the area of the Decapolis. It goes up strong, a very high rocky cliffs, and there's caves in there where people used to bury their dead. So this man, night and day, would be in those caves up on the mountain, yelling and screaming. And then across the water, and then on this side is one of the mountains where Jesus often retreated to early in the morning or all night long in prayer. So I submit to you that there's a great possibility that as this man cried out in the middle of the night, in the darkness of the night, and could find no relief because nobody could help him, across the water, which would act like an amplifier, Jesus on the other side as he's praying, maybe here's the guy crying out. And Jesus says, I'll go to the man. I heard his cry. I have compassion on him. Everybody's given up on him, but I'll go through whatever I have to to get to that man because he is valuable and significant to me. Now, before you dismiss the rest of this passage and say, well, this, the rest of this is not for me because I ain't got no demons and I'm not an unclean person and I ain't got a legion in me. I want you to look at the characteristics of this man. First of all, look at this. He lived among the tombs. Verse 3 said he had his dwelling among the tombs. He has no friend, no family, he lives in the tombs. Even in his life, he's consigned to the land of the dead. Even though his heart is beating, even though he's alive, he's consigned to the land of the dead. Maybe that's you today. You're living in dead places. You walked in here today, but you know as well as I do, that you're living in a dead place, that there's no life. Maybe that's pornography. Maybe that's addiction, offenses. And you withdraw from the very people that can help you. You ever notice that? When, when people get in a storm, one of the first things the enemy tries to get you to do is to step away. You drop out of church. You'd never sign up for a life group. You'd never hang out with people that would speak life into you. You hang around with people who speak death into you because that's all they know, and that's death. So maybe the Lord sent you here today to simply say, you need to, heal. You need to deal with the dead places in your life. Second of all, I see he was out of control in verse 4. They tried to bind him up with chains, and, and he, was, he would break the chains, not just ropes. He'd break the chains. He's out of control. 
Where are you out of control? In your spending? Out of control in your sexuality? Your eating? Out of control in your self-righteousness? You're better than everybody else? Or maybe you're out of control in the area of gossip. I don't mean to talk, but they're going through this. And so they need prayer. Gossip. Gossip is when you talk about somebody and you're not part of the equation. I hate to break it to you, but gossip is not one of the gifts of the Spirit. It's somebody who's out of control. Always posting something on social media. Or maybe you're like the guy that was without rest. Night and day he was crying. He couldn't sleep. Night and day. He wanders among the, uh, the hills and he's crying. And, and some of you, it's been ages since you've had a good night's rest. Because when you lay down, the enemy tempts you to worry, 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 worry. And you get to thinking about all the things that you shouldn't think about. And then you got to take a little drugs and you got to take more drugs and you got to take more drugs. But after you take those to get you some sleep, you got to look to see what else is there. And you find at the end of the morning when you wake up, you maybe slept all night because of drug induced, but you have no rest. Do you think the king of kings wants us to live restless nights with no rest? I believe that David said, when I lay me down, I sleep. When I lay me down, I'm at rest. So maybe one of the areas you need to deal with is this whole area of not even being able to sleep. He lost his identity. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, what's your name? And the man says, now look, he knew who Jesus was, but he doesn't know who he is. He said, uh... Uh, I, I guess I'll have to just refer to the spirit within me. And the spirit within me says, I'm, I'm legion. And surely in his mind, he's thinking, that's not my name. I'm not legion. See, some of you, the devil's lied to you and told you you're an addict. You're a homosexual. You're depressed. You're a thief. You're a robber. You're an adulterer. And so we begin to identify ourselves by the condition of our life. Who are you? I think we all have several mini-me's, don't we? We have the online me, the Sunday morning me, or maybe the Friday night me. And then he was inflicting pain upon himself, cutting himself with stones. How do we do that? We do that by negative words that come against us. So here's what I see in this. When you obey Jesus' mission, you can anticipate a storm and need to look for Jesus to show up because you're valuable and significant. So what should we do? Well, I wrote this down. Run toward Jesus. I mean, the man has no friends. He's no friendship. He's without rest. He's without peace. And he just simply runs to Jesus. No negotiations, nothing else, nothing bad. He just says, I only have one hope, and that's to run to Jesus. That's to run to Jesus. Why? Because he didn't know that he was a VIP, a very valuable and significant person. Would you like to meet a, a modern-day VIP? I'd like for you to meet my friend Brad as he comes right now. Would you welcome Brad? Come, Brad, and share with us.
Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, pray that God gets all the glory from the words that are shared this morning. You know, as a child, um, I had every excuse in the world not to go down the wrong path. Mom and Dad did everything to shower us with love, to give us every opportunity in the world to succeed. Um, but I'll tell you, at the age of 13, my need to be liked and my need to be loved, even though I was getting it from Mom and Dad, it got the best of me. Um, and as a result, I started making choices based on likability <laughs> and not on morality. And I took that swig of alcohol at the age of 13 and I smoked that cigarette at the age of 13. And on that day, my sinful nature latched on to drug addiction. As I went through high school, it progressed, got worse. By the age of 20, I was a full-blown crack addict. Had my third DUI and drug charge. Mom and Dad was doing everything they could, and they helped me get into my third program. Went into Teen Challenge, a discipleship program. Walked through the doors of Teen Challenge, and I was told the truth of things that Dad were teaching me as a child. And I believed. I did. I understood that I was a sinner. I understood that I needed to be saved. I understood that there was an enemy now. And I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in my heart. And I was sealed with the Spirit. And over those next 18 months, things began to happen for real. Um, built a relationship with Christ and understood my need for the body of Christ. Graduated the program 18 months later. God was opening major doors. Um, and I met who I thought was going to be my wife. Shelly was her name. But eventually, she rejected me. And here I am in my self-righteousness, hmm. thinking that I deserve this. Yeah. Look at what I have been doing, Father. You should give me this woman. Why aren't you giving her to me? Now I know why. <laughs> but so I got angry at God. As a result, I picked up a cigarette. That was my trigger. Hmm. And it hurled me back in to 10 years of pure chaos, confusion, wow. and hell. Wow. During those 10 years, I hated my life. I could not stand what I was doing. I could not say no. I could not stop. I was arrested over 40 times in prison wow. twice. Went through another 19 drug rehabs. Wow. But every time I was in that rehab, I would get on my knees and I would cry out. I would cry out. God would begin to do something. And then the inevitable cigarette would come around the corner. And I'd smoke that cigarette. And it was like it brought the addiction back to life. During those 10 years, too, God was protecting me in major ways. I was in many dangerous situations from guns to the head to being beat down, all kind of stuff. And God protected me. Something should be wrong with me physically. Something should be wrong with me mentally. <laughs> well, some people might say there is still something wrong with me mentally. But God protected me in major ways. Now, the key point in my story that God's allowed me to share is in the last year of my addiction, the chains of addiction that I was bound to, mom and dad did a tough thing. They stepped back and they realized they couldn't rescue me. They tried everything in the world, but they couldn't. So they finally stepped back and turned me over to God. Wow. At that point, I went to one last treatment center, or the second last treatment center in Minnesota, the best in the world, best the world has to offer. Eventually, I walked out of that program and 
got arrested nine times in 12 months. Wow. I mean, the worst it had ever been, just completely out of control. Was put on felony probation, ran from Minnesota to go to Newport News, Virginia to try to get into another program. Got arrested the first night I got to Newport News, Virginia. At this time, I was done. I'll never forget sitting on my top bunk in my jail cell in my orange jumpsuit, just hugging my knees and just rocking back and forth. And my prayer was, God, I understand now I'm meant to be a drug addict. I have no life, just somehow use my life for good. Eventually, I stood before Judge Tench for my charge, and I pleaded with him. I said, please, don't let me go. Wow. Keep me here. I cannot live my life. And the judge looked at my criminal record of 37 pages. He says, don't worry about that. I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> but if you had one more chance, what would it be? I said, first of all, I don't deserve it. But I said, there's a program, Teen Challenge. At that time, Youth Challenge was in the area, just like Teen Challenge. I said, you'd have to shackle me and make sure you drop me off there. But that's the only thing that ever worked. That's the only time I tasted a bit of freedom from my addiction. He said, okay, sorry, I can't do that. The last nine or 10 guys I've sent there, they're either dead, they're in prison, or back on the run. And then he stopped. And he put his head down. I don't know what he was doing. I know God was doing something in his heart that he wasn't aware of. It seemed like eternity to me, but after about 30 seconds, he lifted his head back up and he said, Mr. Harder, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to let you go into the program. <laughs> so hope began to rekindle. I began to have some hope again. Maybe there is still a chance. So I was waiting on my name to be called. Finally, they called my name. And they said, Harder, pack it up. Went to the holding cell, waiting for the program to come pick me up. All of a sudden, the, the officer comes around the corner. He says, Harder, you remember Minnesota? <laughs> I can remember sinking back against that concrete wall and that holding block and going all the way to my bottom and, and just crying. I knew it was over because the officer said, everybody who comes through here from Minnesota, they come to get you. Even if it's misdemeanor, they're going to come get you. But 19, 20 minutes later, came out. He said, Harder, I don't get it. They don't want you. You're free to go into the program. Just a miracle. So I went yeah. into the program, found my spot, found my spot. There's a gymnasium and there's a little janitor's closet. That was my spot to get in there and pray and fast. I wanted my freedom back for good, forever, right? Within two weeks, I was offered a cigarette. Wow. The battle of the, the flesh and the spirit is so strong. So I took that cigarette. I took that cigarette and I hid it under my pillow. I hid that sin under my pillow. But before I got to bed, before I went to bed, I got down on my knees and I literally cried out. I remember asking God, I said, God, don't let me wake up because I can't say no. I can't stop. If you do wake up, you've got to do a miracle. You've got to intervene. So the next morning I got up, went down outside the kitchen where everybody was asleep like I'd done so many times before. Put that cigarette in my mouth and I lit the match. And as soon as I took that first puff, I started puking. <laughs> I started coughing. I could not stop myself, so God intervened. Yeah, yeah. But it's key because I was crying out all those times. <laughs> I was crying out. I never stopped crying out. And I finally fully surrendered the night before. Wow. And as a result, I went through that program graduated the program. I got to say one more thing. I forgot this last time. During those 10 years when my parents turned me over, 
three strangers, three messengers, three angels came to me and they spoke to me in my face and they told me, God loves you, you're his, and he's not going to let you go. Wow, wow. It's just amazing wow. that God sent messengers to me. So I went on through that program, graduated, stay on a little longer this time, even though I wasn't supposed to. Um, and I began to truly experience true freedom in Christ. Went back to college, all for his glory and his power. I graduated cum laude. Wow. I went to study at the University of Oxford. Awesome. He was allowing these things to happen for his glory. So when somebody sees my life and they see all that stuff on paper, they can say, but, but. Look at what God does. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't matter where I came from or what I had done. He set me free and put me on a path. Began to work in different ministries and experiencing true freedom in Christ. Eventually, he landed me here at North Lake Presbyterian Church to begin to fulfill my calling um, in a position, in a role sure. as a youth pastor at North Lake. Um, you know, Galatians 5.1 says it was for freedom. Yeah that Christ sets you free. Yes. But this is the key. So Brad, stand firm. Stand firm in God's promises. Stand firm in God's truth. And you will no longer be bound again to a yoke of slavery. Yes, amen. I'm set free from the bondage of addiction to drugs and alcohol. I'm not saying I'm tempted, not tempted in other areas. I'm not saying I'm completely free from temptation. I'm not saying that at all. But when it comes to that category, he has set Thank me free. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So he's answered a lot of prayers since then. A lot of major prayers. Amazing miracles. And he did things in a way that people would see me on paper and they'd say, no way. I'm not giving you a chance. <laughs> yeah. So that, that opened the door for God to do his miraculous things. Yes, yes. And he would open the doors. Yeah. So one of the big, most major prayers that he answered, and I understand why Shelley rejected me. Because I met my beautiful wife, Jenny, and also my stepdaughter, Alyssa, Peyton and Seth are not able to be here. And I thank Brenda and Mike and Ray for being here as well. So God gets all the glory. Whatever the stronghold is, don't stop crying out. Don't stop crying out. He's waiting for you to respond and surrender. And he will give you freedom Amen. without a doubt. Amen. God bless y'all. Thank y'all. So where are you this morning? Where have you been crying out to the Lord? Maybe even ready to give up because you thought that you're just really not valuable or significant. You know, more important than did you survive the storm is why did you survive the storm? Think back in your, in your life with your family and your past. Think of how many things that were designed to destroy you yet look at you today you're in church you're worshiping you're taking notes you're praying why because Jesus knew if he could leave the glory of heaven and come into the constraint of time go through the garden of Gethsemane for you 
and from me. Goes to the cross and dies on the cross, but on the third day he rose again. And he goes to his disciples and he said, look, I, I know you gave up and you, and you feel like you're a failure. But he said, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to earn, as the captain said to Private Ryan, earn it. Now, you can't earn salvation. We don't work for salvation. But we certainly can spend our life giving him glory and earning thy good, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we're looking for, right? So he tells him, go back and tell everybody what you've, what you've seen. Look, the guy has not been to the school of theology. He, he hasn't been only around Jesus for about an hour or so. And Jesus says, I want you to go tell everybody what I've done for you. That's the greatest soul winning method. People say, well, you know, if I start sharing the gospel, people trick me up on systematic theology. Jesus never said being awesome in systematic theology. He said, tell them what I have done for you, that I had compassion for you. They can argue with theology, but they can't argue with what happened to Brad. What happened to you? Years ago, there was an American tourist that was in Paris, and he went into a small trinket shop and he purchased an inexpensive amber necklace. Very cheap. He was surprised when he went through customs in New York that they leveled, levied a very high tax on that bracelet. His curiosity got the best of him and he went to a jeweler and he said, I, can you tell me what this is worth? The guy put it under a magnifying glass and he looked up and he said, I'll give you $25,000 for this right now. So he left and went to another jeweler. He thought, what, what is this? And the other jeweler put it on the magnifying glass and he looked at it and he said, how much did the other guy offer you? He said, 25 grand. He said, I'll give you 35,000 right now on the spot. He said, but I don't understand. It's just a small trinket. trinket. It's, it's, what, what, why, why is it worth something? The man said, look under the microscope. He looked under the microscope and he saw this inscription from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. The value of the necklace came from its identification with a famous person. Your identification and mine today comes because he left the throne of glory, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and died for my sins on the third day he arose so that he could say to me I want to call you out of the tombs I want to call you out of the restlessness I want to call you out of the addiction and the bondage and I want to set you free if you're happy that he's done that for you today would you give the Lord a hand clap did this make any sense to you today the Lord sense say anything to you would you bow your heads with me thank you Jesus Man, Lord, you just really spoke to us today from this passage of Scripture and from the miracles in Brad's life. And we say to you, be the glory. This room is full of a lot of valuable and significant people that the enemy has tried to steer away from you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today or you're watching online. You say, you know what? Boy, that made sense what Brad was saying today. Because I've been trying to 
do better with my life. But I just can't seem to make any changes. So I wonder, I wonder if Jesus would have me today. All I know is for you to run to Jesus because he cares for you. And right now, I know that there are some of you that are sitting here and some of you that are watching online and you feel like the Lord is saying, let me give you purpose for your life. Let me show you the significance and the value of your life. If you're here today and maybe years ago you surrendered your heart to the Lord, but like Brad, you said, I just need to start again afresh. Or maybe for the first time today, you say, you know what? I want to just surrender. I want to be all into Jesus. I just want to be like, like the guy that just fell at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. Nothing to brag about, just bringing my life. If that's you, would you just, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but if that's you, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me today and say, that's me. I want to pray that prayer today. That's me. Today's the day that I want to pray that prayer. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you over here. Thank you. Thank you. Others today say, that's me. That's me. I feel the Lord calling. I, I, I don't know what it means. I don't know how I handle that. But I feel like Jesus is saying that to me today. We just raise your hand right now. Let me pray with you and for you. And those of you who are watching online, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pray this prayer with me. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I come to you now and I thank you for Jesus. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I bow at your feet. And I say as best as I know how, I want to serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the